Hello, welcome back to Camp Half Pod. We are your head counselors. I'm Erin, daughter of Athena. And I'm Manasa, daughter of Persephone. This week we're talking about Mark of Athena, chapters 5 through 12. What were your thoughts on this chapter, Erin? Which one? <laughs> there were eight. <laughs> oh, well, your narrator, I guess. On Piper? Yeah. Um, I feel like they didn't necessarily have to be from Piper's perspective. Like, it was just, like, a lot happening with all of them or different members of them. I guess it kind of makes sense from Piper's perspective because of the Eidolons, Eidolons, however you say that, because she can, like, control them. But I think that's a problem with this book when they're all in the same place is, like, it could, the parts of the story could be told from anyone's perspective who's there, and you don't really, like, hear the voice of the character as much. I did also ignore a lot of Piper talking about her thoughts of Jason. <laughs> <laughs> as we should, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Leo's chapters were interesting, but it's just a lot of just self-pity and hatred. Yes. And just mm-hmm, he's so mm-hmm. insecure. And also, he's so weird about Hazel. Just It's not even like oh, anything yeah. she's bringing to the table, which always frustrates <laughs> me. It's just a very 16-year-old boy who's never had a girlfriend or never had any female yeah. attention kind of thing. Where he is just like focusing on that she's a woman. Like, this is a woman. Oh, yeah. You know? This is a girl who is like talking to me and therefore she is like he develops quite a bit of a crush. It's not anything that she actually brings to the table. is isn't anything uniquely about Hazel. In the beginning, I'm sure it develops. It develops a little bit as he gets to know her. Yeah. But it is frustrating to read because he's just like, it is so hormonal. I'm like, please. I feel like if they had given, which I mean defeats the whole purpose, if Leo had grown up with a sister, he would be mm. an ideal man. Mm. He would hopefully, re- but, but. I feel like men shouldn't have to have women in their lives just to, like, respect women, you know? Like, the idea of, like, what about your sister? It's like, well, what about, like, other people on the planet, you know? But the the fact, as I've seen, is, I mean, it's not always the only case. I know a lot of, like, men who have had siblings, like, sisters and, like, Mm -hmm. strong women in their life who've turned out to be dicks. Like, it it does, and, like, some who don't have any who've turned out to be completely just angels. But it does Mm -hmm. provide help, and it is unfortunate that we put, like, sisters and, like, eldest sisters, younger sisters, sisters and women in this role of, like, emotional labor and education. But I do Mm -hmm. feel that it was correct not to give him a sister, because if they wrote him this way with a sister, I wouldn't believe it. Oh, it would not be. He definitely gives off the vibe of someone who never really had, I mean, besides his mom who died when he was little, he never yeah. really had any women in his life yeah. and doesn't know how to talk to them, especially because I think the reason he's weird around Hazel is because like, you know, Annabeth and Piper, the other girls are like in very established relationships, especially Annabeth, whereas Hazel, like they, her and Frank just got together like a few days ago. And yeah. so Leo's like... A single woman, even though she's (laughs) (laughs) It's not my favorite portrayal of him. I think they have not a good look. It's not a good look. And if they had focused instead on the fact that he was like really they could have kept like Rick could have kept the whole like feeling like an outsider track going without Mm -hmm. the need to have a romantic relationship. Like he's just feeling left out. 
because everybody else seems to have a friend or thinks another person is more important in their life. It doesn't have to be romantic. And then he could easily yeah. have developed it. But it just feels silly because in the future it's yeah. fixed because Leo gets a romantic <laughs> relationship. And I just like frustrated for that. Like every time I read Leo's chapters, I'm like, there was so much potential. Just like same with Piper. Right? It's like there's so much potential mm-hmm. and it was wasted by just like this one bad move of like this romantic love interest need that Rick was like, how do I relate to 17-year-olds? I know. Yeah. Dating. <laughs> That's all they care about, right? That's all they care about. I mean, to be fair, it did take up a larger portion of my mind space. Um, Oh, yeah. (laughs) But I will say we were weird children and we had a big section dedicated to like books and a lot of nerdy, stupid shit that we should. I'm sorry. Nerdy and stupid, where you have a Percy Jackson podcast. Well, see, that's the thing, is now all of my brain space is dedicated to that. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, a lot of my brain space at 16 was dedicated to fictional relationships. Right. And like occasionally my own. Yeah. <laughs> Mike's in the corner crying. He's like, he's not dedicated anymore. <laughs> he's like, she cares more about Percybeth. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, these are long. So quick summary is um, Leo's insecure and Piper's anxious. So we're going to get ready for some great mini quests and a little bit of fighting amongst the boys. Mm. Fight club. Fight club. Don't talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Ready? Leo chapters five through eight. So Leo's feeling like absolute shit. He is the reason that they had to flee and why Camp Jupiter and Camp Half-Blood may be at war with each other. Annabeth is trying to get information out of him, but Leo can only explain that while it was him who set up the cannons, he's sure of this. It was like watching his body work while he had no control, like he was floating above everything, watching it happen. Everyone is incredibly angry with him, but Annabeth backs off when he mentions having this cold feeling that was controlling him, something that apparently Annabeth seems to understand and also be afraid of. But before they can dive into it, Annabeth is called below deck and Leo worries about Jason. Now, I forgot what has happened to Jason in this moment. I just started laughing out loud because I was like, Jason is knocked out again and is injured. From a brick. From a brick. And I was like, ah, the brick. We've been talking about the brick for so long, but he's out. Um, this is where the infamous Jason times brick ship comes from. See, it's been, I've been seeing it everywhere. And I just was mm-hmm. like, I'm sure either I didn't pay attention to it or it's coming. I just like didn't care. I was just like, yeah, he's out again. It happens like once. Like it's actually a brick once. He's just knocked out by so many other things often. <laughs> I mean, in this episode alone, he will be knocked out two times, which is a lot. <laughs> Maybe three times. It's a lot. It's a he's, lot. He's got a lot going on. He's got so much brain damage at this point. He really oh needs to go to a doctor. Yeah. Like, maybe he he has more of a personality. It's just been damaged. <laughs> maybe he's in severe pain. I like, know. Constantly. Know. I know. Well, Jason is out cold and below deck with Piper, and Leo feels like it's all his fault. While Annabeth goes below deck, Leo and Frank hang out. Leo introduces Frank to Festus and kind of 
this gets Leo spiraling to us, the reader, about how Festus was the best thing he ever built. And now yeah. all he has is kind of this stupid boat. But he's like, I can't think about that right now. It's making me depressed. I was like, Leo needs to take a 10-minute time out to just process his feelings. Because he's I not know. doing well. Also, it's Frank really is kind not. of being a dick. And Leo doesn't understand Yeah, Frank's why. a dick. Yeah. And Frank is just staring at him. And Frank asks Leo if the name his name is Sammy. And Leo's like, oh, I just introduced you to introduce myself as Leo. So obviously it's not <laughs> Sammy. But Frank doesn't really explain. But Leo just kind of chalks up Frank being weird to him as like the accurate thinking that Leo is a monster. Which I was like, okay, buddy. Oof. Anyway. Leo says that they need celestial bronze and other things to fix the boat before they can take it all the way to Rome. Festus is scanning for celestial bronze when Percy comes up to confront Leo. He's very angry. He kind of wants to know what happened, why um, the cannons went off and everything like that. He's very angry, and Leo doesn't know anything about this guy except that he's super strong, and um, everyone talks about him like he's a god, is super nervous around him. Also, it's really weird because from this perspective, because I've never read Percy is angry before. Like he's mm-hmm. in these in this series, Percy's angry a lot of the times because yeah. he's just so like happy to be involved or just like happy that he somehow managed to survive as like this goofy dude throughout um PJO. And so mm-hmm. in this series, he doesn't he starts off pretty happy go lucky, but when his memories return, he starts becoming angrier and it's reflected a lot as it goes. Yeah, on. and we definitely get it more in other people's perspective. Like, from Percy's perspective, he's like, I am still a fun dude. Mm-hmm. But then from everyone else, they're like, oh, man, this kid's got PTSD. <laughs> it's, like, really bad. Which, in that case, yeah. Jason doesn't really get angry. Jason is, like, very mellow almost yeah. of the time. I honestly don't mind Jason in, like, when they're all together – I think, like, as a group dynamic, Jason's kind of a funny dude to have there because he just kind of, like, is really oblivious all the time. Isn't very emotive. He's, like, the weird kind of boring friend. But he's, like, kind of comical because of, like, he plays a a role on the team. But then I think the problem is in the first book when it was just him and Leo and Piper, it just didn't... That role wasn't as apparent. No. And I think by having Percy fill this role of kind of being more of the leader but also we all know that the an like the the annabeth the leader we all know that <laughs> annabeth is the leader that yeah. makes a lot more sense than putting piper and jason into the kind of side character romance of like they're just here and they're also powerful and they're good to have on the team is a lot more palatable mm-hmm Anyway, Percy's pissed and he's like growling at Leo and Leo's like hiding a little bit. But luckily Festus finds some celestial bronze below them and with the Great Salt Lake is also below them. So they decide to land on the water. They land into the water and oars shoot out of the boat to start rowing them towards the south shore. That's when Arion and Hazel appear on deck. Arion, having ran across the water is like thoroughly oppressing Leo. He thinks Arion is the coolest thing ever. Hazel also looks and treats Leo weirdly, and he's kind of conflicted. He likes having the attention of a pretty girl, but he also knows that she's Frank's girlfriend. Also, he's really busy hating himself anyway, so he's like not (laughs) super processing what's happening. So he gives Hazel a tour of the ship. There's apparently stables below deck, though Arion won't stay in them. He's too much of a free spirit. 
There's also a cabin for each member of the group and there's a large lounge that he's decked out, which I was like, that's really cute. Leo's love language is creating spaces and things for people. Mm -hmm. And as someone who spends a lot of time with engineers, I think it's very pure. I think it's like (laughs) using his ability to the best that he can is very cute. Yeah. Okay, now that they've landed, they need to figure out a plan. Frank suggests deciphering Ella's prophecy, and Leo guesses that's what person the others were hiding from the Romans. It's Ella's powers. Annabeth asks to have time to sit down and think about the prophecy, but asks Leo to fix the boat meanwhile. She says that she's talked with the rest of the crew, and they all have come to the conclusion that Leo is not responsible for the attack on Rome. Until they figure out what has happened, they decide to use the buddy system. Frank will turn into a dragon and fly Annabeth and Percy to town to buy some tar, and Hazel and Leo will go get the celestial bronze. Frank is not happy about this, by the way. No. Nope. (laughs) Though it is Hazel's idea, so oops. Mm -hmm. So chapter six, um, unlike Percy's point of view, Leo loves riding Ariane. He's a bit (laughs) self-conscious about holding on to Hazel. I was like, my man needs to chill. The amount that he's like hyperventilating being near this woman is crazy. Mm -hmm. They ride to a tiny island made up of white sand. Before they left, Percy had pulled Leo aside and told him about Hazel's backstory about like her coming back from the dead and all that she sacrificed in a very older brother sort of way. So Leo's trying to focus on the fact, like trying not to focus on the fact that her hair smells really good and he has his hands around her waist. Oh, Leo. Leo. They stop and the hormones are crazy. This man needs, I don't know what he needs to do. He needs to calm down. I know people are like, critical of these of some of the parts in these books for like how hormonal they are but sometimes I do think about being 16 and I'm right? like oh man I, I, mean, I la- I'm, I'm laughing about it but I'm treating him like a real like 16 or 15 year old yeah. boy right I'm like yeah <laughs> that sucks yeah. dude I'm sorry <laughs> especially when you get older and you look like you look back at it right with that do you mm-hmm. know hindsight you're like oh yeah that was insane of me to do yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. um they stop and hazel feeds arion with gold and leo digs up lime for the boat hazel tells him that he reminds her so much of sammy but leo doesn't have any knowledge of anyone by that name and has also never been to new orleans leo thinks it's strange but he doesn't push it uh, Hazel a little bit awkward about the situation regardless. Hazel feels that the bronze is nearby, so they go towards it as the sun begins to set. There's a woman in a leather jacket sitting on the ground, shucking some fortune cookies. When she looks up at him, Leo sees his Aunt Rosa, his mother's sister, who refused to take him in and called him the devil child, essentially forcing him into foster care. <laughs> Hazel sees uh, her as Mrs. Lear, her third grade teacher, who was awful and like it low-key hints that she was pretty racist. Seeing her fills with him with rage, and he deciphers that she is Nemesis, the goddess of revenge. Ethan's mom. She's, you remember Throwback. Ethan? Yeah, she makes a yeah, mention of, like, yeah. one of my kids gave his eye to please me, and I'm like, oof. Oh. And he got, she was like, <laughs> gave his eye to please, like, to get his glorious ending. I'm like, ma'am, your, your son died. <laughs> Real glorious. <laughs> yeah, not even that gloriously. He didn't even do it properly. Like... <laughs> Crook had to finish the job himself. Yeah. <laughs> um, she's changing a lot of fortune cookies to horrible things and putting them back together, which I thought was hilarious and pretty mm-hmm. iconic, honestly. 
Nemesis explains that unlike most other gods, she's the same in both Roman and Greek mythology. Apparently, the gods are in terrible shape, being torn into two parts. She describes them as schizophrenic, which when we discussed in the mm-hmm. first book, um, we don't love that term being thrown around. It doesn't mean no. that they're, they're suffering from schizophrenia. She's just trying mm-hmm. to describe them as being a bit erratic. Apparently, the gods blame Hera for the upcoming war with Gaia, and has now so now Hera has fled Olympus, so they no longer have her help on the quest, and any other god will probably not show up and help them too. Nemesis tries to school them on sacrifice, but these two characters have actually lost a lot in their life, so they kind of are irritated that she's trying to get them to sacrifice more and trying to bargain with them about, like, well, sacrifice is the only way to success. And they're like, ma'am, shut the fuck up. We have both lost our moms in really traumatic ways. We don't need this right now. (laughs) They want to know where the bronze is instead. Nemesis says that it is with the sweethearts and tells them to hurry along. Nico and all of Rome apparently will die in six days. She does not elaborate on this. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Jesus, what a bomb to drop. I know. <laughs> she also says that Leo is about to face his most difficult challenge. He will be a seventh wheel, always an outsider amongst his friends, and will encounter a problem he cannot solve. She will help him for a price. Leo's hands burst into flame in anger, and he tells her to essentially fuck off. Nemesis laughs at him and hands him a fortune cookie to break if he ever needs help, though it'll require sacrifice. She suggests that they go to the reflecting pool before dark, because the poor cursed boy will become agitated around then and they will never get the bronze. There's so much happening in this section. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot. To your butts. Okay. (laughs) Chapter 7. Hold on to your butts. Where's my butt going? (laughs) What is that from? I don't remember. I know it's a Some thing. Some cartoon. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> you looking up? <laughs> I am looking it up. Oh, it's from Jurassic Park. That. Oh. Roar. Oh, yeah. That makes sense. Am I right? <laughs> oh. <laughs> 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 Chapter seven. Leo has to explain to Hazel what his firepower, which she thinks is cool, but also terrifies her, and she clutches something in her shirt pocket, which we all know is Frank's stick, but Leo goes, like, oh, I wonder what that's about. <laughs> Leo is upset by his talk with Nemesis. He knows what it feels like to be a third wheel, and seventh wheeling sounds extra shitty. Leo had hoped he would have gotten a fresh start on this quest with six new friends who thought of him as their equal, but since the rocky start, he's starting to see himself being pushed to the edge and being left out. He also was like, was hoping he would get a girlfriend on this trip, but he's like, I've done the math. It's not possible. <laughs> he's like, dang it, I'm the odd one out. <laughs> Should have come in with a girlfriend. It's his own problem. Yeah. Yeah. God, Leo. God, Leo. Didn't he see the syllabus? That's what he was supposed to do. <laughs> Please arrive with a girlfriend. <laughs> As Leo and Hazel chat, they hear this voice that's echoing the last part of everything they say. She's described as pretty but not memorable. In fact, every time Leo blinks, he forgets what her face looks like. They figure out that this woman is Echo, a mortal with a sad story who has come back through the doors of death. She says that she can help them and they can finally take them to the bronze. Unfortunately, there is a group of girls, all nymphs, all decked out like fangirls, screaming and looking at a man who's staring at himself in the lake. Now, I think we should talk about Narcissus. Mm-hmm. So Narcissus, the myth, is a really old one, and there's a couple of surviving um, versions of it. 
um, like Ovid and his like book of metamorphosis and all that stuff. So the story is basically um, Narcissus is born and a seer predicts that he will live a long life if he never discovers himself. And like in the time where not everyone has mirrors just lying around, it's pretty easy not to discover yourself. So one day Narcissus is walking through a wood, through the woods, and Echo, who is a mountain nymph, sees him, sees how beautiful he is, and falls in love with him and follows him around. Um, but she's kind of shy, so she just hides behind trees as he walks around. So every time he senses someone's following him, he goes, who's there? She repeats who's there like an echo so that um, he doesn't figure out that it's her. He just thinks that the woods are echoing for some reason because <laughs> he's dumb. <laughs> um, she eventually is like reveals herself and is like declares her love. And he's like, nah, I'm not into it. So... Um, she becomes heartbroken and spends the rest of her life just following him around until she essentially becomes an echo. Nemesis, if you remember, um, notices that this happened and is really pissed. And so she curses Narcissus to fall in love with his own reflection. And he essentially sees a lake. And in some versions of the myth, he falls into the lake because he's trying to fuck himself. Other versions mm. of the myth, he's mad he will never be able to fuck himself, so he turns, he bursts oh. into flame. Because it's like, <laughs> what they call it is his passion inside of him that he can never um, put out. Oh, and he turns imagine? into a flower. <laughs> Bursting into flames, because we're just like, I'm really mad that I can't fuck myself. I just, he can't do it. It's like, the most unfortunate it's that question that everyone asks like if you had a clone would you uh have, would you fuck yourself which i was like genetically that clone was my sister and that's weird <laughs> you're like hold on a second yeah that's you're called weirdo. incest yeah first of all second of all ew <laughs> but um so that's not so that's all you need to know all you that's everything you need to know about narcissus <laughs> which is actually quite a bit. Um, so Leo notices that this man's beautiful face is weirdly golden as he looks over the reflecting pool. And it's because light bouncing off of the sheet of celestial bronze that's in the water. And Narcissus loves the way it makes him look. It's giving him golden hour vibes, like a ring light, mm. you know? It just makes him look <laughs> real hot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And he refuses to let Leo take it. Leo even tries to bargain with, like, a pocket mirror. He's like, look, here's another, like, a little picture of you. And he's like, no, I need the golden glow. It's the filter that I've been looking for. <laughs> the nymphs and are, like, really comical fangirls. But the sad truth is Narcissus died way long ago. And so did Echo. And now Echo is hoping to try and save him again from the same fate. Like, this is their second chance. But he's not listening. So she's hoping that if they can get him to stop looking at himself in the bronze sheet, she can save him. His own Leo decided to devise a pl plan to get the bronze before the sun goes down. So we get to, to chapter 8. Leo packs his tool belt, draws some silly tattoos on his skinny arms, and rubs some machine oil in his hair. He goes to the group of fangirls and starts shouting, and having Echo also shout, Leo is the coolest while he flexes. He makes fun of Narcissus and actually starts getting the attention of the girls and thinks he's not hot, but he's funny in a cute way. And they start laughing at his jokes and actually ignoring Narcissus, who doesn't like that. 
He actually gets Narcissus to pull his gaze away from the reflection to yell at Leo and try to comp- contemplate, like, why these girls are no longer fans of Narcissus. Meanwhile, Hazel is using her powers to summon the sheet over to her, way back on the beach. She gets the sheet, but Narcissus catches on to their plan and starts firing his arrows and gets his mob of girls to attack Leo. Leo runs to Hazel and grabs the other end of the sheet and they book it. The mob and Narcissus follows them. Echo throws herself in front of Leo, who quickly tries to talk her into forgetting about Narcissus, who doesn't treat her well, but it doesn't seem to go through, which I thought was funny. I was like, wow, he's like, have self-confidence to leave him. I was like, Leo, listen to yourself. That's bold of you, Leo. Arion comes just in time to rescue them, and they leave Echo behind. Oof. That was um, a lot of information. Uh-huh. Um, so they meet a goddess, and they run into a mythical story in the mm-hmm. span of four chapters. Um, I don't really have any thoughts, to be honest. I think <laughs> I said them as we were talking. It's just a lot of... That's fair. Reading Leo as this typical, really insecure 15-year-old boy, I thought it was really interesting that they, like, Rick made us see that he is really charming and people would like him if he got his own head out of his ass and stopped being insecure. Yeah. But, um, because he's really funny, like, his his little idea to dress up and, like, parade himself as the hot guy... Was it's very almost very Percy like, but Percy would also yeah. never, yeah, yeah, like yeah. very twelve year old Percy. Twelve year old Percy was a little bit funnier and less sarcastic, you know. Yeah, it's very like spur of the moment. Doesn't really make sense as a solution, but like, all right, it works. I think that's also what always gets me in this book and like Leo and Percy's interactions. Because if you read everyone's like headcanons, they're always like Leo and Percy are like the ones vibing together on the boat, having a good time. But like mm-hmm. this version of Leo and Percy don't get along. Like they, no. Percy's angry and Leo's like insecure and like would never let himself be friends with Percy because he already has a strong friend he feels insecure and inferior around, which is Jason. <laughs> So it's just unfortunate because I love the idea of them both just being so like stupid and goofy together. But I know, I know that that's the way that it's written, at least in this book, for the at least the first half. Or you know, it's it's not really happening. Yeah. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Piper, chapters 9 through 12. So chapter 9 starts with Piper harboring a nice grudge against the brick that hit Jason in the head, (laughs) which I was like, she's probably jealous of their budding romance. Brayson. And she's... (laughs) Yes. And she's worrying, what if he wakes up and loses his memories again? Which I'm like, that's a valid concern based on the head trauma. Yeah. (laughs) She's contemplating using her blade, Catoptris, which, like, to recap that from book one, it's the same one that Helen of Troy had, 
and the name translates to looking glass, it's more than just a knife. Lately, every time Piper looks at it, she's been getting spooky visions that she hasn't told anyone about. Did she get visions from it in the first book? No. Okay, that's what I thought, but I had a moment where I was like, am I forgetting an entire plot point? Yeah, so this is she new. She doesn't get the knife until Medea, so that was like No, she halfway. got the knife at the beginning. She got the knife at the beginning. She picked it out. Oh, right. In the camp. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Okay, anyway. She, she doesn't want to use the knife, but she's so worried about Jason that she gives in to the temptation. So it's time for a spooky vision. First, we see Octavian being a dick, telling all the Romans that they should go hunt and kill the Greeks. Then we get a bunch of images that flash by, and finally she sees the worst vision. Herself, Jason, and Percy standing in a well, surrounded by ghostly shapes and the water's like all dark and black. The water rises to their chests, pulls Jason down, and then Percy. And she wonders how the son of the sea god could possibly drown. So it sounds like that bit of prophecy that Ella said in book two about the son of the sea god drowning hasn't actually come to fruition yet. Piper wills the blade to show her something actually helpful because she's like seen a lot of these images before and it actually does. She sees a field of wheat near, near a mileage marker that says Topeka 32 where a man in a purple camp shirt and khaki shorts holds up a silver goblet and beckons to Vision Piper to come and see him. Piper knows that this must mean she has to go to him, but then Jason wakes up and she snaps out of the vision. She fills Jason in on what he missed while unconscious. Hazel and Leo come back from their little side quest with the nymphs, who are now attacking the ship. The ship is pretty much all chaos, and they're all like, let's get the ship up and running, and then we will regroup on the deck in an hour. So all hands on deck, they all get together to plan where to go next. The Romans are after them now, like per we saw in that vision, Octavian is sending people to go chase them. So they've got to go fast. Hazel says that Nemesis told them that they have six days to get to Rome and like Italy, Rome, not New Rome. But first they need to land somewhere so Leo can finish up the repairs before they head to their European adventure. And Piper suggests Kansas, which is where she saw the Topeka 32 sign in her vision, which I'm like, how would she know it was Kansas? I don't know. Just a, just a bold she's guess. she's really good Wheatfields. at um, geography landmarks. Yeah, she's like, that was her best subject in school. Yeah, yeah which they asked her with Topeka 32. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know why she knows it's Kansas, but all right. <laughs> all right, Piper. Chapter 10 starts uh, with Piper describing the man she saw in the vision to the group, and Jason identifies this as Bacchus, which is the Roman form of Dionysus. The gods aren't supposed to be in the mortal world right now, per, per Zeus's orders, but when have the gods ever listened to orders? Piper, and, and they also point out that a lot of the gods are confused right now as they switch between um, Greek and Roman personalities, and so like they're just kind of ending up in places randomly as they're switching between their personalities. So, or their, what do they call them? Their aspects or something? Aspects, anyway. yeah. Yeah. Piper, Jason, and Percy are the ones who go to find Bacchus. Like, everyone kind of splits up and takes on a task. They have to walk, like, eight miles, so they decide to call on some friends to help. Blackjack, our old buddy, and Tempest, Jason's crazy wind spirit. Piper also decides to take this moment to declare that she doesn't find Percy attractive. <laughs> like, in her narration, as she's describing him, she's like... He looks like a troublemaker, and I like narcs. And 
just collectively reading this, I feel like everyone reading it is like, all right, Piper, do you even like men? Because like, how could you not love Percy? I mean, I mean, <laughs> to be the fair, pinnacle. the one that she finds attractive is like the most basic, like what everyone has told her a man should look like, yeah. which is like peak, mm-hmm. you know, trying to figure out your sexuality. So you're just kind of going with the floor. Like, this is exactly what I am attracted to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Like, this is what is attractive. Yeah. It's definitely, um, got some work to do there, Piper, because how could you not love Percy? Anyway, they ride their horses to the place Piper saw in her vision and find Bacchus there. The Roman version of Dionysus is skinnier with longer hair and less abrasive clothing, and he drinks Diet Pepsi instead of Diet Coke. You know, important distinction. Sure. Bacchus mentions how he fought in the original giant war and killed the twin brother giants, Ephialtes and Otis. Twins, this is in the prophecy. And so they're all like, oh my gosh, twins snuff out the angel's breath or whatever. And Piper is like, Bacchus, you're supposed to help us kill them. To which he's like, no, only if you give me a good tribute. And then he tells them to seek out four keys, which I think is how you say it. Sure. It conjures an image of Forky from Toy Story 4 in my mind. (laughs) Which is a happy, happy image. Forky's an icon. Um, Who is Gaia's son, who is in Atlanta. Then Bacchus says, randomly, is like, it's a trap, and runs away, and leaves them to the said trap. So the ground starts talking to them. It's Gaia, who has been searching for the blood of a female demigod and the blood of a male demigod, and tells Piper, she's like, I'll take you, and you choose which of these dumb boys will be the other sacrifice. And Piper is like, no. And then suddenly, Percy and Jason both go into, like, a trance, and they hop on their horses and decide to duel to the (laughs) death to determine, like, who gets to die for Gaia. (laughs) And so then we roll into chapter 11. Shout out to Tempest and Blackjack for being like, we don't support violence and trying to steer the crazed boys away from one another. Piper tries to charm speak the boys to stop, but then the monsters that are taking over the boys' bodies decide to introduce themselves instead. They're called Edelons, and they are body snatchers. So uh, I thought these guys sound really cool, honestly. So what is the origin of them in Greek mythology? So we don't have much on them. Basically, mm-hmm. we have a uh, what did you call them? I said Edelons. Edelons. I think could be Edelons. I think, I I think Edelons is fine. Yeah, sure. Um, and Edelon is essentially the ghost of a dead person or a phantom that kind of looks like human. It's a concept that comes from, of course, where everything comes from. Homer, <laughs> who uses them as kind of a plot device to see dead people after war. For example. Um, it's a uh, seeing the courtroom filled with Penelope suitors after they're all killed by Odysseus. Um, and nice. there's this whole thing that I didn't, I like looked at, but I didn't want to get too into where it's like, he kind of introduces it with Helen um, saying that she has this ability of like life after death. But then, of course, then you have all of these other writers and philosophers who, like, take it being, like, maybe Helen never existed at all. Or she never was mm-hmm. actually in Troy. It was her um, her spirit the entire time, which just kind of sounds like Ooh. a really bad plot to a movie where they wake up at the end <laughs> and it was all a dream. Yeah. yeah. 
Oh, that's funny. I thought these guys I added in my notes, I was like, the concept of like ghosty body snatchers that you like don't know that they're there is way scarier to me than the giants. Yeah, like, any I giant. I find that so much scarier. Especially they giant should have utilized like, this more. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The giants who like wear a bunch of jewelry and... <laughs> So after the Edelons introduce themselves, Piper realizes this must be what happened to Leo. They uh, must be working for Gaia. Percy knocks Jason out, so Piper Charm speaks Blackjack into knocking out Percy, and they bring the boys back to the ship. When she gets back, she tells them to set sail, like she tells the crew to set sail for Atlanta and explains what happened to the group. Percy and Jason both come tr- come to and they're seemingly fine and really embarrassed about fighting and kind of like apologize to each other. They all gather at the dining table to discuss what Piper learned from Bacchus, but as they talk, Piper just, like, her spidey senses go off, and she gets a bad feeling that there's more than six of them there. The, she's like, the Edelons are on board here in us. So chapter 12, it's like a murder mystery party now. It's like, who is the Edelon? And then I was like, we should make a murder mystery party like this. <laughs> like, who is so possessed niche. right now? Yeah. Who's possessed? That's fun. Raise I like hand. that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's what Piper does. Yeah. She uses her charm speak and tells the Edelons to raise their hands. And at first, nothing happens. And they're kind of like, no one else is here. But then without like with fear on their faces, Leo, Jason and Percy all raise their hands. Piper then uses all of her charm speak powers to tell the Edelons to leave the bodies and never return to the ship. And after a tense moment, they leave and the boys slump over. Piper and Jason then have some alone time where he thanks her for saving him. And, like, honestly, I got kind of bored. Piper. <laughs> We're so Jason mean to tell- this romance. I know. We really are. It just feels so forced. Jason tells Piper that he actually knows more about the ancient Roman legend about Athena than he let on to Annabeth. Ever since the Romans stole something, he's not sure what, the Greeks have hated them. In particular, the children of Athena have hated the Romans. And every generation, a few children of the goddess are chosen to follow the mark of Athena. The legend claims that if the Greeks ever found out, ever found what was stolen, like they rediscovered it and took it back, there would never be peace among the Greeks and Romans. So Jason is worried about them finding it and how it may escalate the war and the conflict between Greeks and Romans. And then Piper and Jason hold hands and finally (laughs) these chapters end. (laughs) So looking at my notes, I was just like, Piper is so full of anxiety. Like, wow. <laughs> she has a lot. Like anytime she notices how Percy and Annabeth interact, she just like her narration is she's like, oh my gosh, they have it. Like they just are so easy with each other when like, I feel so like me and Jason aren't like that. Does that mean we're bad? And she's like, it, it, does that mean our relationship isn't good? And it's just like, oof, girl. It's like you Oof. have no idea. It took them five to six books mm-hmm. to get together, depending on if you even count them to get like they're together at the here at the end of the last Olympian, but then immediately he's gone. So Yeah. 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 Oh, I know. But also I guess like that does definitely ring true to being like sixteen and constantly comparing yourself to other people. Imagine if Piper had social media, she'd be so anxious. <laughs> um I also thought it was fun that Rick changed it up instead of a dream. There's a spooky knife to give us visions now. That's a oh fun new plot device. New plot. Yeah, I'm so tired of being knocked out or having dreams. Yeah. Some editor gave him feedback and was like, 
they sleep a lot. <laughs> Rick's like, teens need their sleep. I'm like, I what know. can I say? <laughs> There's also a small like joke in here where Bacchus calls Jason John Green. And I was like, is this on purpose? Are Rick and John Green friends? I don't know. <laughs> or is it just like a random name he chose that sounds like Jason Grace? I don't know. I didn't look into it. Hmm, I just assume sure. all white male writers are best friends <laughs> i'm sure they are they all have a club we can never join yeah it's, mm-hmm. it's a boys club um also thought the jason percy rivalry is forced but also it's written to be forced because they're literally taken over by edelons so you know what i was just thinking yeah. there's like this scene in piper's chapters where percy and jason both try to go for the head of the table um, yeah, and yeah. it's like an awkward moment. I was thinking about that. I was like, maybe at that moment, the Edelons are in their bodies regardless, right? Ooh. So, because then that stuff that's not in line with either of their characters. They would both relinquish yeah. that chair to both of their girlfriends. It would make more sense for Piper and Annabeth to fight over that chair, but immediately yeah. resolve to just like without even any uncomfortableness. Just being like, oh, sweetie, you can sit here. No, you can sit here. So that was, I felt that it was really weird when I read it, both times, like when I first read it and even this time around. Also, like, yeah, like when have either of them ever been like, I'm going to sit at the head of the table? That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, yeah, ooh, I like that better as them being possessed already then because honestly, Annabeth should be at the head of the table. Let's let's be real here. (laughs) Which is so funny because it like makes it seem like they're like, oh, we're relinquishing it. Like Percy's relinquishing it to his girlfriend. It's like, no, everyone just like automatically knows that like Annabeth should be at the head. Piper's not involved at all. Piper's like, I'm not even going to pretend to fight for it. Piper's like, I don't want it. Yeah. And Annabeth's (laughs) like, it is mine. (laughs) Also, something that I was thinking about is just such a weird idea. Like, even if you have a rivalry, right? You have a rivalry with another. Let's let's dissect this together for a minute. You have a rivalry with another group of people of a different Mm -hmm. background, right? If Mm -hmm. some white man is standing and telling you that you should hunt and kill this specific group of people... (laughs) Right. Let's just like, let's just work this out. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's bad because they are said to have a, like, a, they are said to be traitors because you've never met these people before. You know, you don't know anything mm-hmm. about them. But this white man is telling you that you should go hunt and kill them. Why is the Roman legion following along? You can say, oh, Rome, whatever. But we're talking about like kids in the 21st century, right? Because history repeats itself (laughs) forever. (laughs) I just feel like it'd be very fun as Octavian is just like shouting this. I just come in like, let's let's examine this together, friends. What does this Mm -hmm. look like? And then present them pictures of like Stalin and Hitler. And like, now what does it look like? Let's just like relax for two minutes and think about this as a group, as a collective intellectual group. Also, like, they all liked Percy, and yeah. he's from the Greek camp. It seems like they're all just, like, Dumb. I don't even think, I don't think it's all of the Romans also. I think it's, like, a weird group think group of the Hive already mind. shitty Romans. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I don't think Reyna wants this happening. No, but she's also kind no. of like, I am, like, you know, useless to stop it. And I'm like, maybe if you yeah. 
thought about it a little bit. And when you pitch it to yeah. the Senate, you think about it as a group. I don't know. I would love them to use the brain cell now. I'm sure Percy yeah. has left it behind. He did not bring it. Well, on he this never trip. had it. Annabeth, oh, it's true. Had it. Annabeth had yeah. it. Yeah, she still has it. Yeah, <laughs> maybe that's what they're actually chasing the Greeks <laughs> the for. They're trying cell. to get the brain cell. Yeah, <laughs> it's the quest for the brain cell. <laughs> okay. Yeah, those are all of the notes I have. So let's move into the lightning bolt questions. So the one that I came up with is what household object would scare you the most if like every time you picked it up it started giving you visions? Scare? I think anything would scare me the most. Do you know what would actually <laughs> really scare me? Would be something that you would assume would be like a screen. Like if my laptop started giving mm. me visions because like I in theory know how to control a laptop. If like my fucking lamp starts giving me visions i'm like okay cool i'm just insane if my computer starts giving me visions i'm like oh i have a virus i'm thinking about all my data mm. i'm thinking about all the things i think that would scare me a lot more i think i'm more easily embracing the fact that i'm insane over the fact that i have like yeah. malware onto my computer <laughs> you would just be like throw it all out yeah get rid of it whatever <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking something I use every day would be a problem, like my toothbrush. But then my thought was like, I would just throw away my toothbrush and get a mm -hmm. new one. So then I was like, what about something that like you have a bunch of and you don't know which one it is, like a spoon. And so there's like one of your spoons that every time you use it, you get a vision. You have people over and give them like spoons for their meals or just give them spoons as a greeting, you know? <laughs> but isn't she looking at the vision on the knife? Like, like it's yes. being seen on the knife's blade? So it would be on the spoon's head. So you would just throw that spoon out immediately in that moment. What if it always came back? <laughs> it's like a haunted doll. Ah, <laughs> uh, the haunted spoon. <laughs> the lesser known horror genre. <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch it. I'd watch it too. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a good movie. It's actually produced and directed by the same person who made the Wereworm movie. Oh, the Wereworm movie. You're yeah. right. You're yeah. right. It's the same. <laughs> wow. That's the a, anticipated a sequel. I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually the Wereworm <laughs> is in the house with the haunted spoon. <laughs> Is it holding the spoon or is it just kind of wriggling next to the spoon? <laughs> it's slithering by it. All right. Have you ever had a time that you wanted to take revenge? Like in the same way that uh, Nemesis is described in the way that um, Leo describes feeling when he sees her. Okay, you know, there are definitely times, like, that are more like more serious that I've wanted to take revenge. But the one that I think the first time I ever felt the... Um, the urge for revenge was um, when I was in second grade or third grade, there was this group, there was like two groups of girls that were playing and I was in one of them and the other group randomly came up to us and accused us of stealing a Safeway plastic bag full of dandelions. <laughs> and we did not steal it. Wow. The coveted item. Oh, yes. Really, really <laughs> fancy. And we were playing our own game. We did not steal it. And they just kept telling us we stole it. And I was so I 
I think I just have always hated being accused of things when I didn't do it. And I got so defensive. And then we found it like they had left it somewhere and we found it. And we were just like, see, we didn't do it. And then they were like, yeah, okay. Like they, they were like, okay, you were right. And then I, I, in my little group was like, we should steal it now. <laughs> and then we stole it. And it was like a multiple, like week long recess feud where, like, it was like we would fight over this bag of dandelions. <laughs> you know, I think we spent too much money on toys for our kids. We can just give them yeah. bags. Yeah. Give them trash. <laughs> trash and it weeds. Was... <laughs> and I remember feeling like I really took revenge. Like, we were like, oh. here it is. We didn't take it. Now I'm going to take it. <laughs> Stupid. What about, what was the time you were like? <laughs> The one, so, um, I've been thinking about this a lot just because as a woman who exists, I am mm-hmm. a small woman and I feel like that immediately have people, like has people react differently to me. And so, mm-hmm. for example, I went for a run like last week and I was, I mean, obviously it doesn't matter what I was wearing, but I was just for like, just because I was wearing like a sweatshirt and sweatpants cause it was cold mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. this man fully leaned out of his car and howled at me. Ew. And it's like, it's like, and it happens like every single time I'm waiting for, I think it's like a specific car too. It's like every time I wait for the bus, anything, there's like this truck that comes by, they honk, they like stick their heads out. And um, I was talking to my brother about it and I was like, in that moment, I just felt this like, just, I knew they did it because they know that I can't do anything back, right? It's not about anything else. And I was like, I just want once. Just to be able to just like, can you imagine if I just like turned around and like ran on all fours and just like (laughs) jumped on their car and just like had super, like, you know what I mean? Just like, just like being able to scare them so badly because they made me feel so unsafe in my own neighborhood. Yeah. Like a just feral response. Yeah. And I'm like, you're so lucky I'm not like 10% crazier because I would do it. (laughs) That's the same way. You're that close. I'm that close. I keep like, I'm like two mental breakdowns away from just going absolutely feral. I was like like driving and um, this guy cuts me off and I'm not a very aggressive driver. I don't really care. So I just was like, I like honked because I was like, hey, by the way, like he cut me off and I'm going straight and he turned left. And mm-hmm. I, he blew me a kiss Ugh. and then like made some obscene get gestures. And I just was like, if I was 10% crazier, I would just close my eyes and hit the accelerator and just smash your car so hard, oh. which is like yes. what crazy people think and like road rage people who pull out their guns think. But I'm just like, I know they're doing it because they know they see that I'm a woman. They see I'm small. And so that's a response that they have. And so many men have, like, feel an ounce of that anger and are like, I am going to go and murder do terrible violence. Whereas yeah. I feel like we're just existing with so much rage. So much rage. Which is why, I mean, we talked about it. We were on um, Megan and Quinn's podcast, uh, Monstrous oh, yeah. Women. We were talking about, like, <laughs> Cersei's book and mm-hmm. the way that I felt when it ended with her having domestic bliss after all the trauma. And I wanted that feminine rage because I am filled yeah. with feminine rage. And I just yes. like, I That's think fair. Nemesis and I would be friends, except I would never act on it because I forget about being angry in about two minutes. Nemesis would like respect you. <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe. Maybe. Or you she- respect her. 
Uh, maybe. I think we would coexist in different planes, yeah. like where we almost yeah. would meet, but we're just always parallel. You nod at each other across the battlefield. Exactly. There's some kind of respect, but it's not quite earned by me, to be honest. But <laughs> it's I was earned telling, in your thoughts. Yeah, I was telling my brother, and he was like, can you imagine, like, that guy who just, like, howled at you, right, in his car. Can you imagine if I just like, got in his car and robbed him? Like, that would feel so good. <laughs> it would be great. It would be great. But, um, yeah, I just started thinking about that, and I was like, oh, it ties well into our um, episode for this week. It so, does. Yeah. It does. Well, I support all forms of revenge. <laughs> Me too. Thanks. Oh, man. All right. We have a question from Michaela, which is a little bit cuter. What is the cute slash worst nickname that you've ever gotten from someone? Mm-hmm. This like was how there's, like, seaweed brain? Yes. And then apparently there were others. Uh, I will tell you the other ones. Wise uh, girl, beauty queen. I don't know what Jason is. Beauty queen. Mm-hmm. Super size, machizzle, supreme commander of the Argo Two oh, is dear Leo. God. <laughs> oh, Leo, honey. Yeah. <laughs> um. Hmm. Let me think. I feel like a stupid one. I in my volleyball team. I remember my nickname was Shorty, which is like not creative because um, I was the creative. shortest one there. Yeah. Um. I used to, in, like, elementary school, one of my friends called me Irwin, just, you know, adding a W to my name, and then it made a comeback in high school, and, like, all the boys in our group then started calling me Steve, because of Steve Irwin. Do you remember that? That's what it was from! I just yes. wanted to go to she's Steve now! <laughs> It was like a very convoluted nickname. Yeah. They were all and it was like all the boys were really I like Steve. That. I remember though once like me and Mike started dating and he still kept calling me Steve and I had oh to just God. like be like, okay, this is the, you I was like, when we were just friends, this was fine, but I, I do not like this nickname. <laughs> I feel very weird with you just like being like, hey Steve. Like, my man Steve. It's <laughs> like, happening. And it's still, I feel like it's still Steve it haunts me. <laughs> oh, What's yours? The one that stuck weirdly was um, a girl on my soccer team called me Mon Mon. Mm-hmm. That's become like that's haunted me for haunted me, and I kind of like it. It's not the worst because like my family, no one in my family calls me Monasa. That's like mm-hmm. a very friend. Everyone calls me Mana. Or Monsi. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. Mon Mon was kind of like a close enough to Mana that I would respond to it still. Oh, my roommate calls me small. Wow, creative. I know, but it's like become a thing. <laughs> I didn't realize. So I have been roommates with my roommates since we were uh, sophomores in college. So it's been mm-hmm. a, like seven years at this point, right? Mm-hmm. And so... She will call me small and I will respond. Like, it's definitely <laughs> stuck. Like, I'll respond to small before I respond to Monasa, which is annoying because, yeah, I'm small. We get it. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's whatever. It's Pavlovian now. It's, yeah, it's really stuck. It's, well, because it was funny because when we were four of us were living together, um, she called me small and then our other roommate who was like 5'8 or 5'9, who's much taller, um, she was tall. <laughs> and so we Creative. were tall and small, and the other one was medium, and I'm mad for her. <laughs> <laughs> That's 
so funny. <laughs> and I just happened to have stuck a long, around a lot longer, so small has stuck. Yeah, look at us, small and Steve. Small and Steve. <laughs> Your favorite podcast hosts. Oh no, someone's going to take that and run. <laughs> I know, it's okay. It's okay. All right, next week we will be only doing four chapters because to chapters 13 through 16 because it's just all about Percy and there's the whole stable scene thing that, you know, everyone likes to talk about. Steamy. If you're interested so in the <laughs> if you're interested horses. in the horses, the horses. If you're interested in supporting us, you can find us on Patreon, link in episode description, as well as a link to send us a little audio message if you want to say anything or ask us a question. It's a great way to do it. And you can follow us on social media at Camp Half Pod, as well as email us anything, camphalfpod at gmail.com. If you haven't already, don't forget to rate, review. See you next time. Thanks for listening.